0: All right, again, this is uh, one of those, it's a, a longer chapter, we're going to read it all in our journey through Revelation, and 17 and 18 of uh, chap- the, those two chapters of Revelation are um, very interesting, and it, they're not easily interpreted on the surface, you have to kind of dig and compare and think through it. I'm going to try to give you my best here on this as a pastor tonight, give you the gist of it. And really some takeaway lessons as we go through it. Um, we'll read it here in just a minute. I'll just, I'm going to click through a few of these graphics, and then we'll read the passage here in Revelation 18. <clears throat> so, um, voices for a new world order. You know, there's, have you heard that term? The new uh, Probably the last 30 years, maybe longer, that term's been kicked around. Um, it appears that when you look, read the Bible, you see, you see some uniting of the world. Not that nations are totally eradicated because even by the time the Antichrist is around, there are he's got a, a group of ten cronies, uh, ten other nations that are with him. But there seems to be this kind of one world mentality. That's why you keep seeing the word Babylon in in, the, in the, um, the book of Revelation because it's, ha- it's the idea of unite the world, one worldism, because we say that based on precedence of how it's used in Scripture. The first Babel was uh, chapter 11 of Genesis and it was against God. The next Babel was Babylon, a highly developed, strictly, strict monarchy, I mean, <clears throat> and uh, that had world power. And now we're revisiting that concept now again in Scripture. Okay, so right now you hear voices for the a New World Order uh, government, one world government type. Um, there's already some nations that kind of unite the European Union. Some of them want to be in it, some of them don't. But I think at the end, eventually, there'll be ten uh, nations in that area that'll unite with Antichrist. Um, I'm making statements that if I were to back up every statement that I just said, we wouldn't get out here tonight. Uh, some of this is based on some scripture, like even in Daniel, uh, some nations that are uniting. Anyways, one world economy—you see that concept in here tonight. The uh, the commerce is all coming together. People are—let me just tell you—in chapter 18, people are just all their hopes. And all their affections is wrapped up in what's happening in this, in this commerce of chapter 18. There's a kind of a one-world economy. Can, I get, uh, can you get me a couple, na- uh, a couple of tissues, please, uh, Iden? So anyways, there's a one-world economy. We already feel kind of the effects of it, right? You know, we kind of have, a, in a sense, a global economy. And by the way, let me just say this. In and of itself, it's not bad in and of itself to say we have a global economy. That is not intrinsically evil, okay? It's not. There's nothing intrinsically evil about saying a global economy, but it's what does it take to get that and keep that? That's the issue, and that's what you see kind of bearing out in chapter 18. Um, this is a major problem: a one-world religion, and I believe that's what we see in chapter 17. Or pardon me, chapter 18. Uh, pardon me, chapter 17 of Revelation that we spent two Sundays on one world religion, and it appears that it kind of coalesces around what we believe is, uh, it looks like it's kind of coalescing, and it's kind of all around what happens through the Vatican. That's what it looks like you have happening there. Now, tonight we're going to look at Revelation 18, when the world attains its best economy. That's what I'm titling our discussion here. When the world attains its best economy. So let's read it and then we'll go back through and we'll kind of do a quick summary of it again. With, I'm going to give some kind of some principles that we can learn from this scenario when the world is all excited about this great one-world economy, one-world commerce system. What can we learn when man gets his best way with the economy? All right, Revelation 18 here. Revelation chapter 18 and... It says here, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried with a might, he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird: for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double." How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she had said, she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her when they, shall see, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels most of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and good, goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. And the merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, and purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster, and all the company and ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, "...stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, "'What city is like unto this great city?' And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, "'Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her.'" And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, pardon me, yes, a stone like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee and the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee and the light of a candle shall be shall shine no more at all in thee and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee for thy merchants were great were the for thy merchants were the great men of the earth for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. You know, we think about Babylon. Remember remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar got very impressed with Babylon and with himself, and he walked out one day and he says, It's not this great Babylon that I have built. And you know what? It was impressive. Babylon, they say, was very impressive. And he had a grip on the world. He certainly had a grip on his people. And he was a tough guy to be under. What he said went. I mean, there was no, let's go through a committee. Let's go, nope. It's like everything he said is what went. But he goes out, look at this great Babylon that I built. And he thought he was something else. Well, he had got warning earlier from a guy named Daniel that had some prophecies that were interpreted to him. And... Um, that eventually his kingdom is not going to last forever. But while he was saying that, uh, that, let's read the scripture. In fact, let's go to Daniel chapter 4. Let's read what happened when Nebuchadnezzar was very impressed with his country, his economy, his rule. Let's read exactly what it says there. Daniel chapter 4, 28 to 32, we'll read that. Daniel 4, 28 to 32. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. There was a prophecy before that that spoke of what's going to happen. Verse 29, Daniel 4. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, It's not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by my might, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be at the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And that goes on to describe, I believe, what he would have as a conversion when he turns to the Lord. So here it is, a scenario of this great ancient kingdom, Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar says, look what I built! And just then it's like, mm, you're just a beast. It's interesting, that's what the next dynamic world leader of all time is going to be called a beast, and he's made a beast, and he's humbled, and he thought he had some great thing. God says, "Yeah, make you a beast," and then he humbles himself and and turns to the Lord after seven years, and I believe is restored back. You know the the Bible says that the whole world it kind of describes this, it kind of describes this attitude here where the whole world is just affected all of its affection and hopes are wrapped up in this materialistic city of Babylon. And again, I'm giving you my best discernment of this thing, okay? There's still a lot of stuff about this that even the best commentators are it's like there's still a little bit of a fog and a mystery to this stuff and you will people will see it more and more clearly as time goes by. But what appears to happen is whatever happens in chapter 17, with this one world religion that gets plundered remember the Antichrist he's a beast he's parading the harlot around she's using him he's using her and then after a while he and his ten horns which is ten nations that he is connected to they hate her and they say we're done with you and they burn her and they plunder her and it appears they take her riches Many conservative Bible commentators think this happens in the middle of the tribulation time and that the wealth that they take gets fed into this great Babylonian economy. And it becomes more attractive. That's kind of the take on it. But one thing that does appear clear to me is chapter 17 is one aspect of Babylon. Babylon, the religious harlot. Chapter 18 is Babylon, the world economy the world system. You see two different things because there's two different, from what I perceive, two different ways they get destroyed. Ten nations destroy the great whore, the world religion, and then God Himself destroys this location, this other location of Babylon, the epicenter of this wonderful economy that everybody's attracted to. God destroys it, and even all the people in ship's like, "Ah!" and they're all crying. All the kings cry about it, too. Whereas the other kings in chapter seventeen, they're happy to kill this other Babylon, this harlot. Some of you remember Dr. Rick Flanders. He preached in our church, and again, he, I read some of his stuff, and he said, um, he says, this is just a side. This is just a thought. He says what might be, what might be, is all of this. He could say this could all be in Rome. And he says what might happen is that maybe the Vatican part's destroyed. And the rest of Rome becomes a type of this economic Babylon, and then that gets destroyed. So that it seems like they're the same place. He says, or, the other interpretation is that the other Babylon, the economic Babylon that we see here tonight, could literally be in another location, maybe like Babylon. We don't know, but we see a location, there is a definite location here. And it's a definite infatuation with, this is where the heartbeat of our economy, this is where all the merchants get rich. This is where the shipmasters in the shipping lanes keep busy. They keep busy because of this, because of what's happening in this great Babylon, Babylon uh, per, place of production and all the stuff that's produced there. And all the kings are like, yeah, we like that too. And there's some compromise and foreign, all kinds of stuff going on there. So let's look here about this. Let's look at a few things. All right, so we're going to walk through this. The reality of her fall. It says, Babylon, I'm not going to read all that. Babylon the great is fallen. Man's best thing gets destroyed. Man's best creation. Without God, man's best will never be enough. I'm just going to give a little star as we go through each of these, giving us a principle. Without God, man's best will never be enough. But but if you just let man do, if you could just get all the best minds together, and all the best of the economic minds, and all the best inventors and business, and just get them all together and see what can we do for the world economy, I'm telling you, that's the type of mentality that's going to happen. We're going to finally start getting along. The communist nations and the free market, we're going to finally get along. And we're going to put the best of our minds together. And we're going to find China. Did you notice China, how they're try, trying free market stuff in the United States? And what? this is going to happen. And people are going to finally come in. Look what we can do. And what they can do is build an economic Babylon. And God's going to be like, eh, burn that. And there's a reason for it. Because it's godless. You'll, it'll prove to be a godless thing, just like the first babble. Remember, kids? They said, we're going to build a tower to heaven. But God told us not to. God told us, but we're going to build a tower, and they did. And God said, "Let's go check this out." Yeah. Mm. And God never touched the tower; He only touched their language, and look what it did. Here, He's going to do more. He's going to destroy this place. It's not that God's against good economies or products or even these things we read. Is God got something against cinnamon? Right. What is this? Is this bad odors and ointment? No, that's not the point. He might have. He does have something against slaves and souls of men. I think. No, that's not the point. It's just this is a godless venture just like it is in Genesis 11. So there's the reality of her fall. The reason for her fall will give a little more insight. You got groups here. The nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Kings of the earth committed fornication. The merchants of the earth are wax rich through the abundance of her delicacy. What's happening here is, yes, they have produced Whatever this thing is going to be, it will be mm, an engine for the economy, okay? And it's going to get things going, but it's a godless thing. Again, without God, watch this principle. You see this illustrated here. Without God, the pursuit of wealth gets ugly. Isn't there a Bible verse about that? Somebody talk to me. Isn't there a Bible verse about that? The will, the love of... Love of money. There are some verses that the, they that will, as in desire, not a future prediction, they that desire, that are craving to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and a bending, foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this is a love of money, a love of materialism, the love of mammon, and all kinds of what? This is the point I'm trying to show you. All kinds of compromising things are happening to make this happen. This is a little side note. I remember Brother Kevin one time, um, we we had a few years ago, we had a candidate visit our church on a, one of the Sunday services. I can't remember where I was, and I don't even remember which candidate it was, but it was a Republican, and and um, um, and then um, I don't even know if I said something about, it was about the candidate in the service, but met the person and everything, and then afterwards, Brother Kevin comes up to me, he goes, preacher, he said, um, it was good to meet so-and-so, he goes, but you got to remember uh politicians are like sausage they taste good but you don't want to see how they were made (laughs) some of you know how sausage is made it's kind of ugly and gross that's what he was saying and i think that's like this all this looks good but you don't you want to know how this was made sorcery some back room deals Fornicate, there's this language of fornication, sorcery, in her was found the blood of all the saints. There's something dirty going on to make this happen. I don't know all of it. I just know one of the last verses in this chapter says, In her was found the blood of all the prophets and saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Well, that doesn't seem like a clean economy. Here's the point again, this is the American mind. Whatever it takes to have a good economy, whatever it takes to make some money, whatever it takes to do, and that's what we, oh, really? Whatever it takes? whatever it takes the love of it just because something makes money again we have this mindset hey it made money it must be good no that's a godless american mindset if you make an honest buck that's good but just because something makes money doesn't mean it's good well it's benefiting just like the whole, i mean there's a there's a there's an argument about drugs well It'll help the economy. Don't you see these other businesses cropping up? This is good for the economy. And yeah, it's good for the economy. It's bad for our brain cells too. You know, if there's this idea of like, let's justify selling drugs and the marijuana stuff and all that. Let's justify it because look what it's doing to the economy. And then they might even be able to prove some kind of economic kick. But we're compromising, sometimes in a social way, moral things... To say we're, bo- we're moving the engine of money around. And sometimes we do it on a personal level. Hey, I made some money. So? Just because it makes money doesn't mean it's right or honest. Just because it boosts, economy, boosts the economy doesn't mean it's right or honest. By the way, I'm not saying you should be dumb and not think through good economics. Jesus, If you read the Gospels, you see Jesus compliment people who are economical and use their mind to make an honest dollar. Sorcery, fornication, murder were the things that were behind the pursuit of this wealth. The second point we see so there's a reason for her fall, the response to her fall, your scripture that we read. You see some verses here, and I heard another voice come from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, <laughs> that ye be not partaker of her sins. Get out of there. And then it says, Reward her. Now the reward part might be get out of the way so God can do what He's going to do. So this, whatever this great epicenter of the world economy and marketing and products is, God says during the tribulation time to His people, get out of there. Come out. Now that tells us it's kind of like saying, get out of the way. I'm going to blow this up. Get out of her. Don't be partaker with her sins. There's a little principle that I take from this, and that is take heed. We need to take heed to separate for Christ at times. We need to stop sometimes and like, what am I, what have I, got in my, what am I mingled in right now? Am I now mingled in something that it's not what it used to be? Or it's bad? Or how did I even get into this? This scheme. You have a situation during the tribute. Somehow, there's a, apparently, by the language here, it must mean there might be some believers all tied into this thing. God says, get out of there. You don't want to be part of their sins. Get out. You know, Go start throwing a garden in your backyard or something. I don't know. You know get out of there. The, the principle is, you know, there's times where, I mean, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18, long passage. You know, what fellowship has light with darkness and the you know what what um, what concord has Christ with Belial and come out from among them and be be ye separate and touch not the unclean saith the Lord now we'll receive you. The Lord calls us to not isolate but separate. And, and like so if there's this so what I'm seeing this as is whatever this is, it seems dishonest, dirty, blood money type thing. There's no moral standards, and guy says, you, my people, you need to get out of there. Plus, I'm going to blow the place up, so to speak. Reward her into the cup, which she hath filled to her double. Um, so we need to remember, we need to kind of like, example. what am I mingled in? There was a guy... Um, I knew as a pastor, he was part of a major denomination when he was ordained. And when he was ordained, they said, the guys on his ordination council, I mean, they were big in their denomination. They were like very kind of almost infatuated. And they laid their hands on, they're going to ordain him. And they said, are you going to continue to follow this denomination? It was kind of a pivotal question at his ordination. And he didn't expect it. He goes, well as long as this ordination or this denomination are you going to continue to follow this denomination and he said and this is years ago this is probably like 80 years ago he said well if this or if this denomination keeps following the lord i'll follow i'll 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 work with them they're kind of like okay it was almost like they wanted a blanket statement like yes i'm in for no matter what well over time they they this denomination was going liberal and he's like i'm not I'm not going that with that. I'm disassociating. because, and I was part of him becoming an independent Baptist, <laughs> this pastor. And the whole idea is, you know, sometimes I gotta. Not that we're anxious to just split and divide and split and divide, because that can be. That's a problem. That can be an unnecessary. There's such a thing as unnecessary separation too, but there's also a, ne, a, a part of necessary. I mean, we there's aspects. I have to practice moral separation. I have to practice doctrinal separation. I can have friends, I can have all sorts of friends at certain levels, okay, and associates. But when it comes to, hey, we're working together as far as a ministry thing, oh, we got to be tight on some doctrine, okay? We have to be tight on certain doctrinal things. And, um, and so here the Lord, this is, He's telling me, as far as this wasn't so much a doctrinal thing, but a moral thing, get out of there. For us, we need to take heed to separate for the Lord Jesus Christ at necessary times in life. We need to pinch ourselves and say, am I I doing the right thing here? then, Then let's go to the next thing, number four, the report before her fall. So we're talking about the fall of Babylon, the great, wonderful city where all the products are being produced and it's the engine of the world economy. Everybody's infatuated with it. The report, let's go back. What was her attitude like before she fell? Her attitude was, she glorified herself, lived deliciously. She saith in her heart, I sit a queen and I'm no widow. I'm good. I'm not going to see any sorrow. These are good days. We're always going to just be profitable and doing well. She was proud, wasn't she? Whoever this is, she's going to be proud. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the God will destroy the house of the wicked, it says in Proverbs 15 25, therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. She'll be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. So for us, the principle is we should put away pride, kind of a twofold thing. We should always put away pride. Pride can be where a swelling and a self-satisfaction of, look what I've done, like Nebuchadnezzar. Look what I've done. He was told by Daniel that God made him that way. When Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this great Babylon that I built, if you look at the prophecy, it said, the language there was Daniel was saying, God through Daniel said, God gave you this power. God gave you this ability. And he didn't, when, he, when Nebuchadnezzar says, look what I've done, he's taking credit for himself that should go to God. And here, this system, this Babylonian this system, Babylon place of economics has the attitude of glorifying herself of pride and as a side note we whatever success that we have if you have success selling something building something managing something fixing something inventing something whatever success you have and we do you know often encounter those different degrees of success and sometimes god causes some people to be incredibly successful Whatever you do, be humble in your success. Be humble in your success. That's a way to kind of maintain yourself and maintain a stand for the Lord. As I say, when you get to the top, some mountains that you get to the top of, you've got to stay on your knees and not just stand up and beat your chest. And sometimes it's that way with success in life. Number five, as we go through this chapter, it's about the fall of Babylon, about the fall of this world economy, the fall of it. That's not a clean economy, but people think this is wonderful. The second, the number five of this, describing these sections, is the remorse about her fall. This is amazing. This is the longest passage part of the scripture where it says three groups uh, monarchs, merchants, and the mariners. Okay, the monarchs, the merchants, and the mariners the kings, the merchants, and the shipmasters and sailors. They're like, men are crying. These guys are crying. Okay, so if a man, it's okay for a man to cry, amen? All right, it's okay. Men need to cry sometimes, therapeutically good. We need to cry. We're not iron. But these guys are crying over my toys. I'm not going to get my stuff anymore, you know, type of thing. The kings, well, what does the kings say? The kings, they bewail over her. It says they're very sad. They bewail over it because no one buys their merchandise anymore. The merchants are weeping and mourning. But oh, they're not going to buy. They're not, not going to buy my wood and my cinnamon and my whatever all the other stuff and the ointments. And they're crying over the stuff. And every shipmaster, all the shipping lanes and people. See, they, it kind of de- it describes the politics, the 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 man, the the business magnet magnates, the tycoons. And then it describes those that are in transportation going back and forth. The, those in the shipping lanes, they're all crying. No, no, it's destroyed. And they see, they're on, the, they're on the ocean, and they see the smoke afar off. Whoa, what happened? And they're weeping, and this says, wailing over this thing. You know, I, would, I cried one time when I, I was working for my dad early on, and I, I was working real hard on something. It was a tailgate for a, for a truck. It was a show truck. It was an old 50-something Chevy truck, and I was sanding this thing, color sanding it. Dad just painted it black, It's color sanding That's something you do before you buff it. Makes it look real shiny. And I, on tailgates, they have chains that catch the tailgate, so that when you open them, it goes like that on these old ones. Well, the chain wasn't on there, and I went to, I had sanded it, sanded it, sanded it, sanded it. Ah, oh, cool, I'm done. I hit the button to open it up, and it went boom, and it dropped all the way down and hit the, it was on metal sawhorses. Boom at the metal sawhorses, and I was like, "Oh man!" I was like 15 years old. I was was upset. My dad wasn't around. These guys over here—we were at the time there was an upholstery shop next to us. These guys were working. A couple guys working. They looked over at me like, "Hey, what's up?" And I'm like, "Oh," you know. And it had had scratches on it. That meant I had to fix it. Dad had to paint it. We had to wait. And and I was all sad about it. I started crying. I mean, I wasn't like, blue. I was like, yeah, I'm sad, you know, I was 15, years old. I was sad about it, I worked hard on that thing. And uh, I went over to one of the guys, he's like, he's like, or he said, what happened? I was like, man, I dropped this tailgate, and, and, uh, and it, it's all chipped and dented now and everything. And he's like, oh, well, things happen. He's going through a sewing, he's doing, he's an upholster, he's doing a sewing machine thing. I'm like, man, you don't even care, you know. I was like, upset about that, no sympathy. So he's like, ah, that happens. To me, not to you. Maybe you get a thing in your finger or something, a needle, I don't know. But these guys are crying. They're crying about all their merchandise. Now, I mean, okay, we do, we try hard, right? If we're in business and we're doing, we try hard. And it's sad if something's destroyed or broken or you waste time on something. I remember one time my brother worked at a cabinet shop. They made a ton of cabinets and painted them. And they he's like, oh that his boss said oh they're all the wrong size there was like a one dimension of it i can't remember the door or something it was like half an inch off and it was like a week's work worth of work was he's like man that was a bummer and they lost a lot of money on that you know nobody wants that to happen but here's the point about this um, there's more to life than merchandise profit and luxury Okay, doesn't it seem like this is a little bit too important to the world right here? A little too important. Not a little, a lot too important. And that's the point is like for us as the Christian mind, as we go through the Revelation, we look at this. The Christian mind says, okay, I'm in this transient life and I'm using things and whatever, but I see there's an eternal world coming. There's eternal riches. There's better things in the next life. And so I'm not going to get so wrapped up. In this, there's more to life than merchandise, profit, and luxury. Um, Jesus taught that in Matthew 6, 32. Your Father knows you have need of these things. You know, all, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You'll get what you need in this transient life, this temporary life. They'll be added to you. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus said, set your affection, Paul said, on things above. So our affection shall be things above the Lord Jesus Christ. People who could, I could lead to the Lord and go to heaven. So here there's more to life than merchandise, profit, and luxury. Let's go to this next one. A couple more points. The rejoicing about her fall. This is interesting here. So everybody's all happy about this in heaven. Usually in the book, it seems like in the Bible, whenever the world is rejoicing, God's crying or the angels are not very happy and Christians are crying, but when, the world is, but when God and the, His people are rejoicing, the world is crying. There's a difference in the value systems. So after she's destroyed, here's the word here from God, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. She somehow is connected to those of the Christian faith, killing them. Rejoice over her. Rejoice over her. So much we could say. Here's a thought, though, about this little principle. God is the best and final avenger. Right? We're going to see that in chapter 19. Jesus, the best avenger. The real one. All right. God is a, he's avenging right now. God hath avenged you on her. He avenges the great whore. He avenges the great Babylonian system here. And at the end of the tribulation, the very end, he's going to avenge the devil and the Antichrist, throw them in the bottomless uh, pit, the lake of fire. Uh, The the devil in the bottomless pit. Now, God is the final avenger. Uh, Interesting thing again, the Bible says in Romans 12 19, give place to wrath. Avenge not yourselves. For it is written, judgment is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God can avenge better than we can. Again, that doesn't mean there's not built-in systems of vengeance on this earth right now. The Bible says government uh, judicial system is God's choice for these moments of vengeance now. So it doesn't mean you don't do any vengeance and we should be an anarchist society. I think it just means more on our own, taking things in our own hands, so to speak. It's, even, like, even like stuff like this, it's like, I, I, I will not, there'll be Christians probably in this time, it's like, man, I would, they'll, if they're reading the book of Revelation, they'll know, I can't fix this unfair thing. I can't fix this, this world religion that's not good, and nor can I fix this Babylonian um, economy that's got blood in its hands and it's immoral and there's sorcery. This is not right. And there might be in their mind, man, I wish I could just... But they'll probably be reminded, oh, God's going to take the vengeance here. God's going to sort this out. And in the end, He does. Last two thoughts here. The resolute nature here of her destruction. When God destroys this Babylon, it's likened to an angel taking a mighty, a great millstone. You know, millstones are big, aren't they? They're, they're, they're huge... Like a rock, different things that, that they use to grind. They're big. You know what? You don't just go throwing millstones in the water. It's like, yeah, go grab that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kids ever dive in your pool for those little torpedo things or little? Anybody you dive in your pool for stuff? Yeah, you throw it down there. Yeah, let's dive in there. The angel takes a big. This is a this is a sign. It takes a big millstone and goes over to the ocean and goes. It makes a huge splash. And it goes down. And when you have something like that go down, it's not coming back. It's not coming back. It's not even worth it, even if you could. The work it takes. The idea is when God destroys this whole Babylonian system, the epic, uh, the epitome of everything man can do. Look, we've had our moment. We did. We had all the optimal things. We had all the optimal people and brains. and And look what we did. And when God destroys it, it is done. It's not coming back again it's not coming back again at all. Let me just pause a second. I want you to see kind of consider the big picture of revelation. What's happening in revelation as we get towards the end is we're seeing a contrast between everything man could possibly do and then what God does. Here's man, here's man's church. Here's man's religion, but here's God's bride. Here's man's city, Babylon, but here's God's city coming out of heaven. Here's what man can build, but look what God can build. His construction material is gold, and those rubies, it's all made out of yeah, that. That's just, that's just construction material there. Yeah, that's what God can do. Here's man's savior, beast. Here's the savior from heaven. The idea, it's, it's, this is all intended to produce a contrast of this is what man can do, but here's what God can do. And God's going to put an end to this um, Babylon. Here's another little point here on this. We must beware of following notable people and celebrities, business tycoons, etc. I say that because as I was studying this, I'm like, man, every, the big important people are following this thing. Kings, big, great men of the earth, it says. The merchants, they're behind this thing. And here's what we found is, we find in the state, we think, hey, did you hear what the CEO of so-and-so said? Or maybe that's the thing we, maybe that's what we need to do. Hey, did you hear what this politician said? And we tend to think whatever the big shots say, that must be right. That must be the thing to go. That must be what we need to do. And uh, not that our leaders always say everything wrong, but we got to wait, wait, I'm going to sift, I don't care who tells me X, Y, Z, I'm going to filter it through the Bible. And so all the great men of the earth... So the Scripture says here, uh, Babylon's not going to be found anymore at all. The merchants were great men of the earth. By thy sorceries were all nations deceived. This isn't good. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. These great men are involved in something that's not good. Hey, guys, just because a celebrity says it doesn't mean you have to follow it. You know, just because... Some famous actress or singer or whatever says something, that doesn't mean you follow it. This is one thing I'm realizing. Again, the more I've gone in Revelation and I'm getting into this stuff, I'm like, I just see Babylon around us already. There's always been a type of Babylon, it's the world. And God says, The world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father endureth, the will of God abides forever. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says that we should be looking unto Jesus, not to the business guys, goons and celebrities. And then the last thing here is true riches are found in Jesus Christ. So this is about a thing of where people are wealthy, they're made, have their luxuries tapped into, but we know in the Scripture that Jesus Christ has an inheritance for us. In fact, let's just read a couple verses and we'll be done here. Ephesians 1, let's read a couple verses. verses. Oh, let me add, there's a little, little example I want to give you too. One more example. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and with the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. It's talking about, for us as Christians, we have true riches with God, the, re- the riches of the relationship, the riches of the care we'll have with Him, the rich future, the rich, and it's just rich. Ephesians 2.7 says this about riches, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us. So you think, well, God's been gracious to us, right? You've been thinking that? God's kind to me. God's gracious. In the ages to come, you're going to even realize more how much, how much more His grace is to you and rich toward you. We don't see how good God is to, to the full extent yet. We're going to see it more and more. Boy, God is so rich in grace. We're going to discover that more. Probably as soon as we die, we'll be like, wow, we feel a greater sense of God was really good to me. And it's just going to, in the ages to come, you're going to see how rich and how rich and how rich he is in his grace to you. True riches are in the Lord. In Jesus Christ, chapter 3, verse 18, Unto me, o less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'll give this little example, we'll be done. I read this, read about a guy, he's a, He's an, this was This was a while back, a long time ago. He was Native American, Navajo guy. And he, back in his day, not all of them had English. Most of our Native Americans, and Navajos in particular, easily pick up on, or grow up. Most of them, actually, nowadays, probably had no English better than their Navajo language. But this is in the day when he was more didn't have his English down as well, just a little bit. So this old Navajo guy happened that there was oil found on his property um, that he owned. And when the oil was found, got connected with whoever drilling outfit and made an arrangement. And this guy got really rich, very rich from, from the oil on his property. Now, he still had cattle. You know, had sheep, he had grass and all that. He still had that stuff. And he still maintained it. Like, I'm going to still keep that. I mean, the guy, he probably could have li- moved. but He didn't. He wouldn't stay keep there. But he made a lot of money, a lot of money, put it in silver coins and stuff like that, put it in the bank. And the story goes that he took all of his money <clears throat> that he made from the oil and put it in a bank. It was a lot of money. His banker became familiar with a habit that this this old guy would do. (laughs) Every so often, this dear Native American man would show up at the bank and say to the banker in his kind of broken English, grass all gone, sheep all sick, water holes all dry. He'd say that to the banker. Without a word, the banker would take, come on back. He'd take him back the vault, open up the vault, <clears throat> he'd show him several of his bags of silver dollars and say, remember, all this is yours. The, the old man would spend an hour st- stacking up his silver dollars back then, counting them and his other coinage just mingling with them. <laughs> then he'd return those bags to their places, he'd come out of the vault and he'd say to the banker on his way out, Grass all green, sheep all well, water holes all full. (laughs) It was like I don't have any earthly speaking, okay? I don't have any problems on my fields. I got all right. Whatever it is, we can handle it right here. I'm very rich. Is what he's saying again for this life? And that's in a sense what we're kind of looking at. I was like, you know what? For this life, some of us we got some problems. And I have some moments of poverty and moments of, uh, you know, different things that I'm, that I'm hurting and I wish were better. And, but when you look at the Bible, you're like, I'm pretty rich. I'm pretty rich. Grass is green. <laughs> Water hole is full. The sheep are fine type of thing. And that's the thought here I want to conclude on is how that, you know, the, great, the greatest riches are begin with our relationship with Jesus Christ and the future that we have. Forever.